Please note, this episode contains graphic descriptions of violence, mental illness, and violence towards a child. Listener discretion is advised. Scary stories have been shared for as long as humans have been around. We tell ourselves that they aren't real and that the stories remain just images or words unable to harm anyone. But there are some people who believe the myths a little too much. Hey, have you heard about the Slender Man stabbing? Hello everyone, welcome back to Hey, Have You Heard About? I am your host Maddie and joining me today is a familiar voice, my dad, Trey. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. He was on the um, Lincoln Assassination Conspiracy Theory episode. The first Conspiracy Theory episode. Yes, exactly. Hey, Have You Heard About? Exactly. And like, I think the second most popular. So I'm sure if you guys found the podcast through that episode here he is again and who beat me out (laughs) rebecca with the weepy voiced killer by just like a few but it's still going it's still going (laughs) um so hello everyone welcome we're coming to you not live but we're coming to you from self-isolation in this weird (laughs) time that we are in of 2020 so happy to be here Wash your hands. Wash your hands. We'll get that right out of the way. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hello. Basically, what I do is I take a true crime case, a ghost story, or a conspiracy theory, and I tell it to someone who hopefully has never heard of it before, which is pretty fun because you get their real and authentic reactions, questions, all that sort of stuff. So this one has been a case that I have been personally invested in for a really long time, and I'm sure I've talked to you about it before, so I'm, I'm going to be surprised if you haven't heard of it, so I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but it is what it is. It's a really interesting case either way. We have a Twitter and an Instagram that you can follow for updates and all that sort of stuff. I try to keep it as updated as possible, so that's going to be HHYHA podcast on both of those platforms, Twitter and Instagram. We also have a merch store, which is super fun. That's going to be at teespring.com. So if you search Teespring, hey, have you heard about all the merch will pop up and all of that, all the money made from the merch store goes to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is a great organization. They're super, you know, awesome. If I know probably coming up, it's going to be a little bit tough money wise for some people, but if you feel like you want to give back That would be a great way. And it also, you know, advertise the show. And that's pretty great, too. Um, I like my gear. Yeah, I I like mine, too. I have to say I've gotten some that I like to wear around, and it's pretty fun. We also have a Patreon, so if you want to directly support the show, I think just a dollar a month will get you access, early access to episodes, usually a day early. And then I try my best to update, do, like, weekly updates on Monday this week. These past weeks have been a little bit hectic, obviously, uh, with what's going on, trying to figure things out, but I usually try to update on Monday just so everyone is in the know about what's going on, how cases are going, what I'm thinking about doing next, all that sort of stuff. So if you like to get a little bit more detail than just simple updates, definitely donate to the Patreon because, like I said, as low as a dollar, you'll get episodes a day early and you get access to that update, weekly update thing. So, yeah, and I love the insider info. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Also, I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Best Fiends. <laughs> Yay, I'm so excited that I get to work with them again. They're awesome. I'll talk about it more later in the episode, but just stick around for that. Okay, so I think that's everything I need to talk about. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I like to start out with some good news. And I think nowadays, especially, we all need some good news. We all need some good news. So I got this from our website, Good News Network, goodnewsnetwork.org, I think, or .net. It's one of those. It'll be in the description. But it is titled, the article is titled, Dozens of Blue Whales Spotted in Antarctica for the First Time Since the 1980s Whaling Ban. Wow. Which is pretty cool because back in the day, you know, whales were considered really endangered, especially blue whales, because of all the whaling that happened, you know, in the 
20th, 20th century. Yes. It's hard to keep <laughs> track of them all. It's really cool. Whales are starting to return to sites where a lot of them had been killed previously, and in particular the blue whales. And according to the article I read, scientists are saying that the blue whales are, quote, bouncing back, which I thought was <laughs> kind of fun. But so far, there have been 36 sightings totaling to 55 individuals, like sightings over the past few years. So I think 36 sightings within maybe a six month period or wow. so, which is great. Yeah. And there was a 2020 expedition earlier in the year that found 20,000 humpback whales at that site. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really crazy, wow. but it's great. And hopefully there's a ton of, uh, of baby whales, immature whales, so that means that they're they're breeding, they're growing, the population is increasing, oh, yeah. and so that's great. Definitely. I think that's what part of the article said, is that a lot of them are coming in to mate and, you know, have babies and stuff, which is, of course, is going to help, like you said, the population yeah. grow and all that sort of stuff. Um, what a blessing. It said in the article that the team is thrilled that this is happening because no one expected it to happen for like a few more years at least. So to see like this huge growth out of nowhere is great. And not only is it great that they're coming back, but blue whales are also really good for the environment. And according to the article... Do tell. According to the article, the bodies of the, the blue whales, once they die or once they, you know eat and do their business. They basically feed phytoplankton. I don't know if I said that right, but it's a biology term, so I hope I did. No, I think you did. About phytoplankton, which are little creatures that take in billions of tons of CO2 each year. Mm -hmm. So by having more blue whales, that's going to create more, more phytoplankton, phytoplankton right. so it's going to decrease the amount of CO2 in our atmosphere, which is pretty neat i think because that's, that's right. like that's something that's happening right now you know eco balance exactly and i think it's really cool too this is just a side note but i know like this quarantine stuff is really scary but just seeing pictures from you know china or italy where their ecosystems are kind of clearing up pollution is going down have you seen yeah, the, i know you told me the, I yeah. guess last week that mm -hmm. the pollution uh, measures have gone down in china and italy both is that both right? yeah. yeah and then i don't know it's going around the internet right now but the waters in venice are clear now wow for the first time in forever yeah and um they said that it's so clear that you can see fish swimming in the water hmm. and animals like swans and stuff had start, have started to return to sure. Venice, which I think is pretty cool. Nature's filtering systems are amazing. Oh, sometimes. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So shout out to uh, nature. You're awesome. We need you. <laughs> okay, that's enough good news. So, Dad, I have always kind of been interested in true crimey supernaturally stuff i think since you were very up. young yeah. yeah i remember maybe a few years ago we were going through stuff and my mom found a, a short story that i had written when i was six or seven it was about a werewolf or something in our house i think i remember yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> good times but i've always been kind of interested in the the unexplainable. the unexplainable that's a good one there that's go. we'll say that for sure but there was a time i guess around like eighth or ninth grade it was where I became very interested in creepy pastas. Slender Man, Jeff right, the Killer. All right, do you remember this? Right. I do I remember the term creepy pastas. Mm -hmm. And I remember Slender Man obviously because of, you know, the popularity that it had at that time. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, but so yeah, I, yeah, creepy pastas rings a bell. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying all of this to set up for the fact that Growing up, I was really plugged into this sort of world or, or fandom, whatever you want to call it. And I, I, I sort of know all the terms and stuff, which is going to come in handy for this episode because, mm -hmm. hey, Dad, have you heard about the Slender Man stabbing? The Slender Man stabbing? Stabbing. No. No. I've heard about the Slender Man story. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's that's the origin story, and I just don't know... Well, this Much was actually it, a true crime case that happened in 2014. Okay. And it, it was, well, we'll get into the details, but okay. I, I remember exactly where I was when I first heard about this. I was sitting in summer school in my 
English teacher. She was teaching history. Summer school by choice. Summer school sure by choice. Yes, because I wanted, wanted to get ahead. <laughs> I on wanted her to studies. get ahead. I didn't. I yeah, exactly. It um, wasn't a requirement. No, but I was sitting in summer school. We, she, my teacher had given us a break, and I was scrolling. I was looking up, you know, doing my thing, because I was obsessed with creepypastas and stuff. So I just searched Slenderman just to see what was going on in the fandom, and lo and behold, here's this case that happened literally that day. And I was like, ooh, oh no. And so that, I mean, I straight up remember where I was, which is pretty Hmm. wild. Now take a step back for me. Okay. If not for your listeners. Mm -hmm. And what are creepypastas? What is that? I'm just about to get into that. Okay, great. So like I said, I want to call myself an expert, but I was plugged into the fandom back in the day when it was really big. So Mm -hmm. I know a lot of terms and stuff, which will come in handy later on. But creepypastas basically are... It stands for copy-paste. So originally they started out as short horror stories that, you know, you would see it on the internet and it would be, you know, share this or you're going to be cursed. Share it to five people or you're going to be cursed. And that's how... Which has been around a long time. Right. But that's how creepypastas initially began was this idea of we're going to scare you and then you have to share this with people. Eventually towards, I want to say the early 2010s maybe it started to evolve and people like this whole community coming together and writing really creepy short stories and posting them online so some of the heavy hitters quote unquote are like the russian sleep experiment which is a good one i really recommend ben drowned is a good one if you're a fan of legend of zelda so is this based on they take existing storylines and they Sometimes, Do their own storylines? Sometimes. Sort of like fan fiction? or A something. really popular version of this would be, oh, I was looking through a garage sale and I found a video game that I really like and it's really old, so I'm going to play it. Oh no, I'm cursed now, you right. know, because the video game had a curse on it. And that was kind of the... One of the trends of the time. So sometimes it was based off of a, 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 a property. Sometimes it was like fan mm-hmm. fiction. Other times it was creativity and like unique one-of-a-kind stories like the russian sleep experiment i think is a one of kind one-of-a-kind story based on sort of conspiracy theories and stuff but so at the time when creepypastas were big this character rolled around or came to light and his name was slenderman so slenderman actually did not originate from creepypasta surprisingly i believe it was Early 2000s when he was created. Slenderman, the lore starts in this website called the Something Awful Forums. And they had a contest on it where they wanted you to edit a photo, make it look as realistic as possible, and like have something really scary in the background. Oh, okay. So it wasn't necessarily the written word. It was an image. Yeah. It was an image contest. Exactly. Gotcha. So this guy named... Eric Knudsen, I believe, is the creator of Slenderman. And he, and I'm probably saying his last name wrong, but it's fine. Slenderman blew up after this because the pictures that he posted look really real, like ridiculously Mm -hmm. realistic, first of all. And it's, I'm trying to picture it. You can look them up online, but it's like Slenderman in the back of these photos with a bunch of kids around him. Okay. And kids in the foreground just playing. So it's really innocent. And then there's creepy dude in a suit with no face in the back. And that's what sort of drew people in was the fact that Slenderman, had, you know, was this, this being that no one knew anything about. All we had was this picture. Sure. So that allowed people... And, and he offered no backstory or anything no, like that. So no. it was just fear based on the images that he created. Exactly. Okay. But that allowed people to go, hey, we can create the lore for Mm -hmm. this creature now. Mm -hmm. So I want to be specific here. Once we get into the case, I'll start using these terms a lot more. But a lot of the sources that I read, heard, watched, whatever, did not... And I understand why they didn't do their research in this particular aspect. But they didn't differentiate between the canon, quote-unquote canon, lore of Slenderman and the fandom, like, fanfiction-y version of Slenderman that these two girls involved in the case seem to focus on more. So I'm here to set the record straight, y'all. <laughs> okay. So So avoid the second generation aspects of the Slenderman story. The, yes. The uh, one-off's not the right term, but you know what I mean. Next, 
the next step, the step away from the origin. Right. And and focus more on the origin itself. Right. So okay. so the original lore with Slenderman had him and this is based off of like Marble Hornets, which is a great series online. They don't call their character Slenderman, they call him the operator. Um the video games and stuff, you know, all that sort of stuff. Based on those mediums, according to them, Slenderman can teleport, he can uh, mess with your mind, he can not possess you, but he can scare you enough to do things for him, pretty much. And he affects cameras, makes them really staticky and stuff. And that's basically gotcha. just the lore, like, and of course, obviously, the original images, he collects children and takes them away and no one really knows what happens to them after that. He's this generation's boogeyman. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's the internet's first boogeyman. So that's the lore. So, you know, he's really intimidating. He takes children himself. I'm going to be specific himself because that'll come into play later. And he messes with people's minds. He can teleport, you know, messes with technology, all that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. that's basic lore of Slenderman. So the fan fiction version of him, it, I don't want to say romanticizes, but it kind of does in a very weird way. Sure. In the creepypasta fandom, there were a bunch of other characters, like I said, Jeff the Killer, um, Eyeless Jack was one. There were really, really weird, not well-written characters that just became famous because younger girls gravitated towards them for some reason. Mm -hmm. Not me. I luckily missed that because I was just like, these stories are cool. So these, these, these young girls started creating this narrative around Slenderman that he was like a father to all these other creepypasta characters and they mm. all lived together in a mansion which they called the Slender Mansion okay. and they all were quote-unquote called proxies which basically meant that Slenderman controlled them and had them do his dirty work right. whereas in the lore Slenderman is the one doing the dirty work pretty much. I don't know if any of this is making sense. No, I'm it makes perfect sense. To, sure. Okay. Good. And and in a way, you're trying to to differentiate and defend the original version of Slenderman exactly. in the creator's eyes. Exactly. And obviously, this will come into play as you tell the story. Because, it will. Because obviously, these alternate Two. versions mm -hmm. played some impact in the story you're about to tell. Yes. So I want you all to keep this in mind. There's a huge difference between the actual lore behind Slenderman. And the version that these two girls who committed this act had of Slenderman. Now, there's some sort of themes that, you know, are similar, but a majority of the time, these two girls seem to focus more on the fandom, the fan fiction, the romanticized version of Slenderman rather than the canon. And I want to make that very clear because a lot of the sources, like I said, seemed to lump all of this in and sort of, in a weird way, blamed the creator and the people who expanded on the lore initially in the early 2000s blamed them for the girl's actions, which in my opinion was not the case. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make that clear before we move forward. Okay, now let's really get into it. Oh, also I did a poll on Twitter about okay. the what how people heard of Slenderman and I was kind of surprised no one had heard of, you know, learned about him on something awful forums. It was mostly creepypastas where they had heard of him. So I guess okay. that officially means that Slenderman is a creepypasta. I don't know. I guess that's true. But I just did that as a little experiment. So here we are. Okay. So it is currently May 31st, 2014. We're in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I hope I said that right. And currently, we're going to start from the end and then sort of move forward. But so on this road called Big Ben Road, there was a cyclist. I couldn't find his name, unfortunately, but he was just going along and he found a 12 year old girl who had been stabbed lying on the side of the road. Okay. She had been left for dead, but luckily the cyclist found her in time to call the police, call the ambulance and get her to the hospital. I will say she is still alive still to this day. Alive. She's still alive, which is great. Three hours later, they managed to locate the attempted murderers uh, walking through the woods. And their names were Morgan Geyser and Anissa, Anissa Weir, and they were both 12 years old as well. What a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
So they were found walking through the woods, like I said, trying to get to Slenderman's mansion, which they claimed was in this place called Nicolette National Park. Now there it is, Slenderman's mansion already. Right away, we can see that they're using the fandom mm-hmm. romantization version of Slenderman. Right. Um, but Nicolette State Park is an existing. That, yes, that's a, that's a an real place. place. Yeah, okay. it was um, I think several hundred miles away from their home, and they were planning to walk all the way there. Wow. Just to well, we'll get into it. Okay. So let's go over the girls real quick, and there isn't a lot of information out there that I could find about them specifically about their home lives. Well, um, probably appropriately, you right? Know, they're minors and everything; they protected as much right. as possible. The um, information. Yeah. There is a documentary on HBO. I'm not a huge fan of it because they stole footage from different Slenderman series sources, mm-hmm. so like Marble Hornets. Huh. Um, I think. Tribe 12 is another great one, and they stole from that without asking the creators. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but it has a lot of really good information. I just got really angry when I was watching it. But definitely check that out. It's on Hulu, I think. And you can also find it on YouTube if you do some digging, I'm pretty sure. But so let's talk about Morgan Geyser. Her mother in the documentary described her as quirky and marched to the beat of her own drum. Sure. So she was kind of just, you know, a quirky little girl, pretty much, growing up. She, her mother also said that she didn't seem to care what other people thought about her, which, you know, when you're 12 years old, you kind of do somewhat, but also you, like, act like you don't, you know? Right, right. At least I, based on my experience. You try, try to act like you don't. Right, yeah. exactly. But she did say that, her mother did say that Morgan would not react the way that she would think she would react if she, if something sad happened. So in the documentary, she briefly talked about how she and her husband decided to let Morgan watch Bambi. And we all know that scene in Bambi where the mother deer is running and Bambi is running and they're both trying to get away from, well, you know, if you (laughs) haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry. But they're both trying to get away from the hunter and Bambi's mother dies and gets shot. And so instead of being sad, Morgan apparently screamed at the TV and she said, run, Bambi, run, you know, not even bothering to be upset about the Mm -hmm. mother's death, Mm -hmm. which... Her mother said was very not the reaction they were expecting from, you know, a five-year-old or a four-year-old. But it was not without without concern because she was obviously concerned about Bambi's well-being. Right. Didn't want Bambi to be killed too. But I think her the mother's concern was that she didn't seem to have any empathy towards Bambi's mother. Yeah. Is what she seemed to be worried about. So the parents did say that they knew at the time that her. That she was interested in Slenderman. They knew that she was, you know, online looking up all this stuff. But they didn't really think that this was going to be a big deal. They probably should have. Well, maybe they shouldn't have. But they probably should have taken into account maybe this would be a big deal. Because her father had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And schizophrenia can be... Hereditary. Hereditary. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Anissa's parents seemed to be the exact opposite. They were always checking in with what she was doing online. She was only allowed to be online during uh, when she was doing schoolwork or when she was talking to friends online. You know, the door to her bedroom was always open, except for when she was changing or something. They, They said that they knew what she was doing online. And, you know, her dad said that he saw no signs that anything like this was going to happen. You know, that she was happy, healthy, kind of... Not a loner at school, but kind of shy, sort of. But she, you know, seemed nice enough around people where he did not expect anything like this to happen. Sure. Which, of course, you would never expect anything like this to happen. Yeah, no one would think, would ever want to think that their 12-year-old daughter would, sounds like, attempt to murder another 12-year-old. yeah. When these two met, they had only known each other for a few months before this all happened. They met in school, probably. They did. They met in school. I believe it was sixth grade, I want to say. That'd be about right. Sixth grade. Mm -hmm. They met when they both went to sixth grade. I think it was on the bus that they met. They lived in the same neighborhood, just happened to. 
and they just sort of clicked automatically. They just became friends very quickly and they just sort of, you know, were like, hey, we have the same interests, we like the same stuff, let's just be friends. So they did. Right. This was around the time that Anissa actually discovered Slenderman and she told Morgan all about Slenderman. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Morgan, who had who had at the time has now a schizophrenia, which had not been noticed by her parents. Morgan said that she had seen Slenderman repeatedly throughout her life. So then that sort of I confirmed sure. to them that Slenderman was real. So not only schizophrenia, but a vivid imagination and mm-hmm. the willingness to sort of dive into that imagination rather than reality. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so that's when they sort of became fearful because based on the stories that Anissa was reading, Slenderman was going to come and take them and kill their families and all this, all this gruesome stuff. So they said, the only thing that can protect us from this is if we become proxies for Slenderman. Now again, proxies, there are no proxies in the Slenderman lore. This is a fan fiction based thing. Right. Um... Another thing I want to note is when it comes to fan fiction having to do with Slenderman, a huge thing is like writers will create their own characters, which are called original characters, OCs. And more often than not, if it's a Slenderman story, they will make their original characters proxies of Slenderman for some reason. Um, That's just a trend that I noticed back in the day. It's a trend that I'm sure is still going on today. In the fandom, uh, I'm not involved with any of that anymore mm. because of this incident, so I wouldn't know for sure, but I'm sure like, it probably still going strong. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But So they set themselves up as allies of Slenderman exactly. rather than um, enemies of Slenderman. So, so their, their fiction, their creation is not to combat Slenderman, but rather to become an ally or ultimately a proxy. Yes, exactly. And that's the type of stuff that Anissa and Morgan were wanting to do in order to quote unquote protect their families. Right. I think personally that was just, you know, they wanted the story to be real for themselves and they wanted to go away and it wasn't necessarily to protect their families. It was, Anissa said later on, it was to prove that Slenderman was real, which we'll get into that statement and what it, like why it's relevant later. But to me, just based on what I've seen in the fandom, what I've read, and then seeing these girls, I would think my first instinct would be that they weren't trying to protect their family like they said. It would be to prove themselves to Slender Man and like sure. make it make them seem good to him so they could go live with him or do whatever. Hmm. So they decided in December of that year, 2013, that they were going to have to kill somebody in order to achieve this goal of becoming proxies and improve themselves to slender man. Exactly. So they had been planning this murder since December and it happened in May, which is insane to me. It's crazy. You know, these two 12 year old girls premeditating murder. Yeah. To that extent and to that length is, is pretty abnormal for children that age. I would imagine. Oh yeah. And there, I, I did some, I did read some articles about, like, childhood, you know, psychology and stuff. And, it, it, and development. Yeah. Right. And it said, once you hit the age of... I wrote it down somewhere. I want to say that once you hit the age of, like... Okay, maybe I didn't write it down. But once you hit an early age, like two or three, your brain knows what is fictional and what is not. And for some reason, in this instance, maybe it was because of Morgan's schizophrenia. You know, maybe... Uh, Nisa had an undiagnosed mental illness at the time, you know, for some reason that switch had not flipped and it was very hard for them, I guess, to, especially for Morgan to determine what was reality and what was fiction. Sure. It's, it almost sounds like Morgan, um, is succumbing to her mental illness. Yes. And Anissa maybe is a very, uh, is a highly, um, influenced child at that mm-hmm. point so that she sees her friend with these very vivid um, thoughts and ideas and stories, and she's easily impressionable, mm-hmm. and so she, you know, she begins to get 
wrapped up in, There's in the story. There's actually too. a theory that Anissa was suffering from. I know I wrote this down. Um, Anissa was suffering from this mental disorder that is, I guess, somewhat common. Um, but it's a mental disorder where if you spend enough time with somebody, you'll have part of their mental disorder, not transferred, but you'll, you'll pick up some of those mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. with yourself, like mm -hmm. yourself. Um, Associative disorder? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I've been in those classes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I read it somewhere and I guess I didn't write it down. But I people speculate that Anissa had this at the time because even though she... Well, we'll get into it later. I promise we'll get into it later. So they started planning in December of 2013 and they decided we'll do this, you know, in May because Morgan's birthday was in May, May 31st to be exact. Or it may have been May 30. It was, they had a birthday party for Morgan, May 30th and 31st of 2014. So the date that this happened, um, they celebrated Morgan's birthday. Okay. So it was Morgan, Anissa, and the girl that they had chosen to be a victim, that they said Slender Man had chosen as a victim. Gotcha. I don't want to necessarily say her name. Actually, she's not a victim. The survivor. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily say her name because I feel like she has been through so much at this point. Sure. You can go online and look up her name. It's very easy to find. But I think out of respect for her and her family, I'm just going to be referring to her as the survivor from now on because that's what she is. I mean, sounds good. Amazing. Um, so May 31st, 2014, Morgan, like I said, had a birthday party and a sleepover with Anissa and the survivor. They had actually planned to kill the survivor that night in her house, but decided against it. You know, because according to, I think, Anissa, they wanted her to have one more morning hmm. okay. before everything went down, which I guess that's fine. Like, okay. Yeah. It's nice of you, I suppose. Not really, but, you know. So that morning, they went outside to play in the woods. Uh, you know, they were just going to play hide and seek, all that sort of stuff. You know, all the stuff you would do as a 12-year-old girl. Originally... The plan was to knock the survivor out and make the death, death, death a lot swifter so she wouldn't feel any pain. They tried to do it in a public bathroom. Anissa tried to knock her out so she knocked her to the floor and like started to strangle her, I believe. But because she didn't completely, you know... Lose consciousness. Lose consciousness, mm -hmm. she stopped and then pretended like nothing had happened and she and Morgan were like, let's go play in the woods. Let's go a little bit deeper. Well, it'll be fun. Let's go. And mm. the survivor, you know, being 12 years old, kind of shocked, didn't want to be left out though. Right. Was like, I'll go with you. Sure. You know, but she was obviously a little bit wary that something was going on at this point. I mean, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so... This, uh, once they got out to the woods, they decided to, again, play hide and seek. And Anissa had told Morgan on the walk to the woods that she could not kill the survivor. She was like, I can't do it. You're going to have to do it because I just can't. So Morgan basically said, okay, so just let me know when you want me to do it. I'll knock her down and I'll stab her because she had brought a kitchen knife with her in her pocket. She was like, we'll do it. We'll do it this way. So Anissa went to go count. And then as she had her back, she was walking away. She screamed, Kitty, now go ballistic, go crazy. So Kitty is weird. It's a weird thing to say. So we're sure. going to talk a little bit. We're going to bring in the original characters thing again. I saw a lot of psychologists or I read a lot of psychologist study of this phrase and something else that Morgan says later on. They said that this showed their detachment of reality and stuff just by referring to each other with these weird names. And that's true to some extent, but to me personally, I believe that these girls were trying to live the life of their original characters. Because in the creepypasta fandom at the time, most original characters had these catchphrases they would have mm -hmm. and these quote unquote killer names that they would have. So according to an article I read, Kitty was Morgan and Scorpion was Anissa. And so 
you know, they would say these things that this, this would be like a phrase they would say before they killed somebody, you know, like the most famous one would be Jeff the Killer, who, if you haven't heard of him, he was supposed to be this teenage boy who got bullied and then chopped off his eyelids and made a smile in his face and his killer name is Jeff the Killer and his killer phrase is go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. I didn't, that's a horrible story. But that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, there's catchphrases no. in all aspects of fiction and exactly. storytelling. But, and, but this know. was really prevalent. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> yeah. But this is really prevalent in the community at the time when sure. this happened. So, um, so after Anissa said, Kitty, now go ballistic, go crazy, Morgan said, don't be afraid. I'm just a little kitty cat. Which to me, hearing that... That, to me, is like, okay, so they're trying to create their OCs, make them real. So this is Morgan's phrase that she would say. So I think that just goes to show you more their warped sense of not only the Slenderman lore, but reality as well. Because to them, they were their characters that they have created. By doing this act, they would transition and become Kitty and Scorpion or whatever. Yeah, and from the psychological standpoint, it's detachment. It's detachment from... From this abhorrent behavior. Exactly. And somewhere in there, subconsciously, I'm sure, they were trying to differentiate between Morgan and Anissa and Mm -hmm. Kitty and Scorpion. Yeah. You know, Morgan and Anissa wouldn't do this, but Kitty and Scorpion could. Mm -hmm. So it was that psychological detachment from, you know, from these these alternate personalities that they created for for themselves. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, the survivor at this time was stabbed 19 times by Morgan. Wow. In the chest area, arms, legs, stomach. According to doctors, Morgan just barely, maybe a a centimeter away, could have ended up killing her by slicing one of her arteries. Mm -hmm. But that centimeter saved her life, is what they said. Sure. So during this whole time... The survivor was screaming, like, I hate you, Uh, I'll never trust you again, all this stuff. And this is stuff that Anissa specifically talks about in her police interrogation video, was that she was saying, like, I hate you, I'll never trust you again, da-da-da. Which, to me, made her sound like, kind of like she was trying to justify it, because, like, oh, this girl's filled with hate, and she's gonna hate us forever, so we might as well just do it, you know? In, In my mind, that's kind of, in a weird way, probably what she was trying to, like, sure justify it. Then making it reactionary rather than proactionary. Right, exactly. Yeah. So then apparently uh, the survivor went limp and they assumed that she was dying or dead. They told her that they were going to go get help and then they just left her and started their journey to the Nicolet National Forest where they thought the Slenderman Mansion would be. Is there any basis for them thinking that it was in Nicolet? I could not National find Forest? it. I don't, it, based on like the fan fiction lore that I know of, I had never heard of Nicolette National Forest before. So I don't know where mm-hmm. they specifically got that information. That might be something interesting to look into. Yeah, you would think that it appeared somewhere in somebody's story, fan, yeah. fan fiction of Slenderman because, I, you know, you've been 12 more recently than I. But <laughs> I don't know many 12 year olds that know of national forests that are 300 miles away. Right. You know? Yeah. So obviously something had to have planted that location in their, in their psyche. Yeah. For, I don't know this. if they did their own research and was like, this is obviously where it is based on what we, you know, what's described in fan fiction or like if it's just, they read it somewhere. I honestly have no idea. Cause I had never like, I've never come across it right. from when I was interested in this stuff. So, back to the beginning. The survivor managed to, after she finished playing dead, she managed to crawl all the way to a nearby road, and that's where the biker found her. So, they think that she consciously decided, I'm going to play dead. I mean, maybe that's... these girls will stop attacking. That's what I was thinking, you know. Yeah. that I mean, that's what I would do if I were in that situation. Yeah. Because if that's their end goal, and you kind of figure after you've been stabbed 19 times, that's their end goal... I would probably just play dead until they went away, you know? I mean, that's what I would do. Sure. I don't know what, if anyone else would, but, you know, personally. So we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and talk about the interrogation, which I think is very interesting and shows more insight into the girl's psyche. So we will see you guys in a second. 
We've all been through this before. You're watching a documentary and because of your short attention span, you need something else to do in order to keep focused. So you scroll around looking for something fun and lo and behold, there it is. The super fun, super cute, and super creative app, Best Fiends. Y'all, I am so excited that I get to partner with Best Fiends again for this episode of the podcast. If you don't know about Best Fiends, it's a fun puzzle game with a ton of really awesome characters and levels. One of my favorite parts of it is that the levels are actually challenging and still manage to be really, really engaging and fun. Currently, I'm on level 55, and I'm still making my way through the world and meeting new characters all the time. And I know I've said this before, but Best Fiends is also a casual game for casual gamers, so there's literally no pressure to progress or do better than other players. It's just a super fun game. Not to mention, Best Fiends doesn't require any internet, so you can play it anywhere, anytime. I know when I'm on campus or at home and there are a lot of people on the Wi-Fi at once, my connection can be so slow and it takes forever. But because there's no internet required, I don't have to spend a lot of time waiting for it to load. I just click on the app and play. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. All right, we're back. Thank you again to Best Fiends for sponsoring this episode. So um, the interrogation of Anissa and Morgan, I think, definitely shows kind of their psyche at the time. Um, I could only find Anissa's interrogation, so I have more notes on her than Morgan. Um, but I did read some articles that briefly talked about Morgan's interrogation video, which they are online. You can check them out. I just couldn't find Morgan's, unfortunately. I'm sure someone else can. But Anissa was very emotional when it came to herself and her parents. She seemed to have some remorse for the survivor. However, she genuinely cried when she was talking about herself and her parents. Okay. during the interrogation. In fact, the very first thing she says, this this definitely showed to me that she didn't really care that much about the survivor. The first thing she asked the detective when the detective came in to interrogate her was, do you know how far we walked? She said, because I'm not very athletic and I would just like to know how far we walked. Hmm. And it's just like, is this really the thing that's on your mind right yeah. now? You know? So I think... Maybe she was wondering how close they... They got to Slenderman. Maybe. But I think the addition of, I'm not very athletic, so I'd like to mm -hmm. know, kind of tells you, maybe she was thinking like, oh, this is a really, you know, maybe I went super far, you know, more than I have before. That's so cool, you know, yeah. all this sort of stuff. But she, during the interrogation, she blamed Morgan mostly for everything. And she is actually the one that said, you know, I tried to prove that he was real. So this line is important because that tells us that Morgan... Or no, Anissa, sorry, Anissa was aware that Slenderman is fictional. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. So that makes you wonder, what was the whole point of this if you know that he is fictional? Sure. You know, what is your take on that? Well, um, either she she consciously said, okay, he's fictional, or she was sort of in the camp that said he's real we just don't have proof yet mm -hmm. and you know someone could say i'm trying to prove that he was real not not saying he's fictional and i'm actually trying to prove he's real but rather he's real but i haven't seen proof of it yet so i'm trying to be that you know I, i'm that, trying to provide that proof yeah so um i don't know i could see both sides of that mm-hmm I, I just thought it was really interesting because I had, like I said, I've been really interested in keeping up with this case since 2014. So I, it had never occurred to me before that the fact that Anissa says, like, we were trying to prove he was real shows, like, they knew, or at least she was aware mm -hmm. that none of this was real. So I thought that was a very interesting, you know, observation to I make. I think it's also interesting based on the the profile information that I've received so far that she seems like more the instigator. Yes, I agree. Than Morgan. Maybe she was the influencer. 
I mean, and she Morgan was more reactive to her to her influence. Right. She was. I mean, Anissa was the one who initially discovered Slenderman. Right. Which makes you question, like, also, and I'm not trying to blame the parents at all in this situation. It breaks my heart that all this happened. You know, the parents did the best they could. You know, with what they knew, what was right. happening. But it makes me wonder, like, how she first came across Slenderman. You know, was it at school? Did someone else tell her? Mm-hmm. Was it online while she was supposed to be doing home? You know, it makes me wonder how specifically she discovered him. Shout out to parental controls yes. on electronic devices. <laughs> Sometimes it comes in handy. So, yeah, it was, like I said, she, she blamed Morgan a majority of the time. She said Morgan was the one that told us we had to kill her. You know, she was the one who says that she's seen Slenderman, and after she said that, I started to see Slenderman. You know, da 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 da, all this stuff. Um, so they were feeding off one another. Really, yes, honestly, pretty much, yeah. pretty much, yeah. It was a, a a shared imagination at that point. Yes, in her interrogation, she she goes, and this is what I find interesting is she goes into specifics about how you know proxies and Slenderman and how everything works, and just listening to that, that's when it made me realize, okay, so she's talking about, like, the fan fiction side of things, not necessarily the actual lore. So, again, if you've forgotten, Slender Mansion, proxies, you know, all this sort of stuff is not canon to the Slender Man lore. It's fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And so that, the fact that she went in the interrogation and explained it the way she did to the detective sort of showed me personally that this was what the girls were consuming more and more. And it became apparent later on when they went to Morgan's room and did some investigating and they found pictures of, like, Slenderman, of course, but also other famous, quote-unquote, creepypasta characters like Jeff the Killer, like Eyeless Jack, like, you know, all the, like I said, quote-unquote, famous characters that are supposedly involved with Slenderman. So... To me, that shows that they were very much plugged into this, like, fake, non-canon idea of creepypasta and Slenderman in general. So, she, like I said, she didn't have that much remorse about it. She was mostly concerned about how far she had gone and what her parents thought about her. Which, okay, that's good to have the opinion of your parents. However, you know, when this is the reality of the situation, you know, you know what you've done. You know that it's probably horrible what you've done, show a little bit of remorse, mm-hmm. you know. For Morgan, she was the exact opposite. She showed literally no remorse at all throughout the entire interrogation. For any, for anyone For involved. any, for okay. any. Not even for Anissa, who, you know, who was her no. cohort in crime. No, she blamed Anissa, and she said she was the one that came up with the plan. I had nothing to do with it. I was just the one that stabbed her. Mm-hmm. She 100% believed that Slenderman was going to be real or was real, and she said in the interrogation that she very much wanted to become a proxy, which... So she was still living with that, that, um, that narrative. Yes, that all of this was real. She said, actually, in her interrogation video that she had thought about killing people, but only the ones that she didn't like. So, you know, all this sort... Which, I don't know if that was actually... Her, or if it was her wanting to sound like fit into that character that she had created, that proxy right. character, right. you know? So I don't know. I think that is up for debate. But just to show kind of like the stuff that she was reading and taking in media-wise, one of the questions that stuck out to me that she asked the interrogator, the detective, was, you're not going to behead me, are you? Which was like a punishment back in the day. You know, immediately. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was very chilling. To behead me. That's that's an interesting choice of execution. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Wow. It's it's very peculiar and very just like Mm -hmm. chilling. Obviously, she she was having some real difficulty with attachment to reality. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can at least agree to that. Absolutely. Whether it was mental illness or, you know, this, uh, an imagination run amok or. Whatever the case may be, there, there was a real... Because you would imagine, especially for a child, mm-hmm. um, when faced with the with the fear of being interrogated, being uh, arrested for a crime like this, being involved in something like that, would almost snap them back into 
a real heightened sense of reality oh, of, yeah. of you know what's going on around me. Um, I think human nature typically causes us to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like she didn't even miss a step as far as her alternate reality of Slenderman and the purpose of her murder attempt mm -hmm. and all of those things. Yeah. Um, she didn't miss a step in, in continuing down that, that uh, journey. Right. Wow. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, if you have schizophrenia or, you know, anything like that, you're a horrible person or no, whatever. But I feel not. like, I feel like one of the causes of this was the fact that her schizophrenia went unchecked. And again, you know, schizophrenia doesn't show up usually until you're in your 20s. So it's very odd that she start she started showing symptoms at such a young age. Sure. But I think you know, once it, it's hard to determine I think in this case especially what is, you know, her imagination and what is the symptoms of yeah, schizophrenia. Her disorder. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, again, I'm not trying to blame the parents, but they they knew that the father had it. So I feel like they should have maybe, you know, checked to see if she could possibly have it mm -hmm. maybe especially when she started to get more obsessed with slender man in general mm -hmm. like i said i think they did the best that they could with you know the situation but i feel like because they knew they had full knowledge of the fact that she was interested in slender man she yes. was reading about it mm -hmm. whereas anisa's parents had no idea that yeah. she was doing all that okay. exactly so what you're saying is that because they knew about the potential for maybe some mental health issues that that should have you know her getting into that kind of um, fiction and those kind of stories maybe um, they should have been a bit more sensitive to how it would impact her right especially at like a younger her, age yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. sure yeah I mean I mean basically yeah that's what I'm saying pretty much and again like I'm not trying to blame the parents but what if if you know you have a mental illness and you know that it can be hereditary and you see your child start exhibiting saying, some of the same yeah, yeah exhibiting same symptoms issues, yeah. it might be for the best to go get it checked out to be to be you know preemptive and get ahead of sure. situations that can happen because that does not mean that they're going to end up being no you know, attempt murder not or at all not at all but what it does mean is that there there are situations that that you need to be aware of and address yes and I, I think you know also if you get ahead of it you know that's going to help stop possible trauma that your child is mm -hmm. experiencing if i was you know morgan's age and i looked out the window every time i did and i saw a faceless man staring right back at me you know obviously very threatening that would traumatize me sure for days on end even though it was your even though, exactly, the, it was really yeah, interesting in the documentary, the father, that when they interviewed him, he said, you know, it's hard to live with schizophrenia because one day, you know, you'll be driving down the road perfectly fine, and then you'll look in the rearview mirror and the devil's in the back. And mm -hmm. you tell your brain, that's not real. But because you can see it, because you can hear it, because you can feel the heat coming off, mm -hmm. it's hard to convince yourself that it's not real. Sure. So just like that sort of especially at a young age when you're experiencing that, that's going to cause a lot of trauma. And of course, when you're 12 years old, you don't want to tell your parents about it. But I just think if Morgan's parents had seen her obsession and seen how much she was like talking about it and seeing some of the symptoms that her dad might be experiencing, you know, in her, I feel like they probably could have checked and made sure, you know, nothing was going on. Sure. And again, I'm not, you know, they did their best with what they knew. But I feel like in Morgan's case, there could have been extra things that could have happened. And the fact that, you know, she showed very little emotion when it came to, you know, sad or, you know, traumatic events mm -hmm. in media or in her life. I think that would have been a big red flag there as well. Yeah, that poor kid. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's, it's tough because you feel sympathy for them and yet they did horrible things. Or they did a horrible thing. So it's hard to... Like, for right. me personally, I I feel sympathy for them, but that does not excuse them from what they did at and all. And it, it's not required in order to be sympathetic. No, no. You, you're, not, um, you're not pardoning them or, um, you know, 
yes, maybe forgiving them in a sense, but um, it's not without its consequence. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Um, but in the same sense, you can you can still uh, feel uh, sorrow for them that um, all these different things led to this moment where where they did this horrible deed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their trial. This is the last bit that we'll be talking about. They were tried as adults, and like finally, there were a lot of appeals and such. But because I think because of the premeditation and how long they had been working on this plan and how in-depth it had been, they decided that it would be best to try them as adults. Wow. So both girls were evaluated for mental illness, and this is where Morgan's schizophrenia came to light, and this Mm -hmm. is where Anissa's... Associative disorder. Associative disorder. I think that's what it is. The one where she picks up on Morgan's schizophrenia. You know, that's when it was discovered, and it was decided that they could stand trial despite the mental wow. illnesses, which... I bet all of this is still under appeal, isn't it? No, actually. No? It is. Wow. It finished, all the trials finished in 2017. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's that's enough time to go through the full mm-hmm. appeal process. But they did appeal it several times to try and get them, you know, to go to child court yeah. or to, you know, say that they were not mentally there sure. or competent at the time. But so Anissa ended up getting 25 years in a mental facility when she was 16 years old okay. in 2017. Morgan ended up getting 40 years in a mental hospital in 2018 when she was 16 years she old. She brandished the weapon. Yes, but both were found not criminally responsible by reasons of mental disease or defect, which okay. is a law that is in Wisconsin, whatever, mm. law book. Right. You know, so they were not found guilty of criminal, you know, responsibility. Yeah. But they were found guilty of the act itself, I guess, if that makes right. sense. That's no, my no, understanding of it. Sense, yeah. So just, I mean, that's where they are today is, um, you know. Are they in Wisconsin? I believe so, yes. Okay. But they are apart from each other. They're in separate facilities. Sure. Are the, and they're, they're in mental institutions. Yes. So theoretically, they're getting some mental health. Yes. For their- An article I read said Anissa has already shown improvement and she's actually very remorseful for what she's done now. Morgan also has stated that she feels sorry for what she's done and she is getting better mentally. I think 40 years is a tough sentence and I'm sure they're going to try appeal it, try to appeal it later on. But I, yeah, as long as they're getting the... As long as they're not getting what they deserve, but as long as get, they're getting the help they need and sure. also punished for what they did, I think that's the best case scenario. Now, the survivor has said that she's worried about what happens if they get out yeah. and meet up again. Yeah. You know, which you is a valid concern. <laughs> yeah. Which is a valid because, concern. Because, I mean, okay, so that was 14. That means that she's 19, 18 years old. 19, 19 yeah. yeah. So she's um, in college now. Sure. But, um, yeah. I will say, though, one thing, you know, this case is really horrible, and it's, you know, what happened was disgusting, and I feel sorry for, you know, the survivor and stuff, but... I will say it was interesting in the days that followed to see the creepypasta community and fandom sort of band together. And there was this whole campaign to raise money to donate to the the survivors' medical bills. Right. And there was this whole campaign called Creativity Not Reality. Mm-hmm. And so it was very interesting to see that sort of come alive, I guess. Sure. Within the, and that's, again, something that none of the sources talked about what... Was what well, happened after. Yeah, and, and that's a level of social responsibility that a lot of times you don't necessi- necessarily see oh, yeah. in, in, from artists. Exactly. You know, um, you want artists to be free of, uh, free of restrictions so that they can create. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the power of art is, is the creation of things that we never imagined before. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's refreshing to hear uh, somebody maybe who ex- created something, experienced uh, a negative reaction to it, which I would definitely think this is. Oh, yeah. And has some awareness of their social impact. Mm-hmm. Not even responsibility, because I don't, I'm not even sure that artists have a responsibility for the reactions no, to I their art. No, I don't think they do. Mm-mm. But at least an awareness of that is important. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm I'm not I'm not for censorship. I'm not for any of that stuff. I just think it's it's more powerful when we're all aware of the impact of what we create. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that that's a that's a good sign mm-hmm. that that they sort of rallied to the assistance of this young girl. Yeah, um, and this particular community did. Yes, because they the- could certainly have said, "Well, we just write it. We you know we didn't." You know, we didn't have anything to do yeah, with this, exactly. this attack, and they and they didn't. There's no, you know, there's no blame to them mm-hmm. in this attack, but yet they're aware of their role in it. I guess. Yeah, that's what that's what. Growing up, I was I guess I was like 15 or so when this happened, and mm-hmm. you know, so close in age to these girls and being plugged into the same community mm-hmm. that they were. It was, you know. Like I said earlier, this was the thing that sort of took me out of this fandom because I was like, "That's, I mean, this is too much. Like, this is reality." Mm-hmm. But it, it was very comforting and it was very nice to see all these creators. You know, it was either you know YouTubers who read the stories, or it was people who wrote the stories, or it was people who made art for the stories, or you know, it's just this whole community that banded together and just like surrounded this girl and said, you know we understand that this is creativity. We understand it's not real and we're so sorry this happened to you. We're doing the best we can to help you because of what these girls have done, you know? And and I thought that was just really great. And that's something, you know, I wanted to end on sort of. And also I wanted to talk about like, this case kind of ties in a little bit to what's happening in the sense of mental health, I think. Mm -hmm. Both of these girls at the end of the day were fairly isolated. They, you know, were online a lot and obviously they had mental health issues. And I think as we go through these times, these next few weeks, I think it's important to, you know, not allow ourselves to get as lost in, you know, whatever online, our own minds, as these two girls did. I posted an Instagram live about this, but I think, you know, it's important to remember during these next few weeks or during these next few months that if you feel like you're getting lost, if you feel like you're struggling with something, reach out to somebody to get the help that you need. Because, you know, I will admit these girls were young. They probably didn't know any better. But I feel like if somebody had reached out to them or if they had reached out to somebody and said, I'm struggling, I don't know what's going on, things would have been different. So that's my message to you guys to sort of end on is I know... These next few weeks are going to be really tense, really scary, really, you know, unpredictable. But if you feel like you're struggling, if you see friends of yours that are struggling, I encourage you guys to reach out and connect because, you know, we're living in a world now where we can talk to anybody we want to online, literally anybody. So, I mean, it's not that hard to send a text message and say, hey, I'm just checking in on you. Are you doing okay? Or, hey... This is tough for me to say. I'm struggling. Could we FaceTime later? You know? And I feel like, again, if the girls had done that or if somebody had reached out to them, things would be a lot different. And I'm not saying if you don't, bad things are going to happen. But I'm just saying for your mental health, for your friend's mental health, for everybody's mental health as we go through this, check on each other, take care of one another, and all that sort of stuff, I yeah. guess. You know? I, I don't know. That just came into my mind. When can I, was, can yeah, I say something? go I mean, for it. That is a fantastic message to end on, uh, and I probably should just say nothing at all. But it, it's uh, to reiterate and repeat: um, we all have ways of connecting. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with somebody today. Your generation is so much more comfortable with the electronic connection, mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of what we're all asked to be very dependent upon right now: is yeah. the electronic connection right um so we can look to your generation as to how to navigate that um in a very positive way because you guys are comfortable with getting on you know getting on facetime Mm -hmm. and and communicating with somebody that you know in some in some sense that's that's y'all's preferred method of communication sometimes uh, or texting or and what my generation you know we were we were letter writers we Mm -hmm. were you know, we were visitors. We, you know, we were knock on somebody's, you know, a neighbor's front door and say hello kind of generation. Right. And um, 
we need to try to steer clear of that. Mm-hmm. Not the letter writing, of course, but the knocking on the front door for the next several weeks, mm-hmm. if not more. Um, so we can sort of look to y'all as good examples of how to maintain relational activity without actually having to do it face-to-face and hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm with you. I encourage anybody and everybody, don't ever feel like you're alone or by yourself. Exactly. Especially mm-hmm. in a situation like this because mm-hmm. you're, you're not. Yeah. You're not. There's There's nothing that you can experience that someone out there has not experienced before, if not currently experienced. Yeah. And the more that we can relate to one another and realize that we are not, uh, we're not by ourselves, mm-hmm. um, the more powerful this communication and this community, this uh, you know, this world can be. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I encourage everybody to go and find uh, that that Instagram post that she did yesterday on HHY HA yeah podcast. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> Um, because it really is a great message. It's a very positive message. Um, and, um, so I, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better than she said it on that Instagram post yesterday. So. Mm-hmm. Well, just watch out for each other, you know, check in. If you feel like you're struggling, reach out, you know, I think this case is a good example, like I said, of what happens when we don't reach out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. So Definitely, definitely do that if you feel like you're struggling during this time. Okay, I think that's everything. Yay, we yeah. did it. Thank you for having me again. Yes, thank you for being on. It was kind of sudden. I had another guest, but with the self-isolation virus happening right now, we couldn't get together. So I'm glad you were here to do I'm it with me. I'm happy to be a backup plan. <laughs> yes. Maybe one of these times you'll give me like a real ghost story or something to sink Ooh, my teeth into. maybe, maybe. <laughs> so anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want more, hey, have you heard about, go ahead and follow the Twitter and Instagram at HHYHA podcast. Definitely check out the merch store if you want to support the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Like I said, they do great work over there. What else? Oh, the Patreon. You know, definitely check out the Patreon if you like what you hear. Also, leave a review. You know, I take bad critiques, good critiques. I always try to, you know, incorporate them into the episodes just to make the listening experience better for you guys. So if you like what you heard, leave a review. If you didn't like what you heard, leave a review. You know, I'll take whatever into consideration. Support your sponsor and let them know. Yes, check out Best Fiends. It's great. Thank you so much for them sponsoring this episode again. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a safe self-isolation. Whatever. There's a dog here now. Hello, Henley. We're not isolated for the dog. We're not isolated for the dog. I hope you guys stay safe. Check in on each other. Take care of each other. And we will see you guys later. Goodbye. <laughs>